It's Luminaries with David Odyssey. This time, the astrology and immortal legacy of the one and only Anna 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 Nicole. But first, and you had to have seen this coming, I am going to be talking about the Tina Turner documentary on HBO. Yes, I want to have sex with Sebastian Stan. Some other musings about emotions, dancing, recovery. Listen, you know the drill at this point. Thanks for listening. Stick around. It may seem to you that I'm acting confused when you're close to me. Okay, sorry. I uh, I did Pesach uh, last night with a uh, beloved kind of uh, foundational friend of the show, Lulu Krauss. We harmonized to... Um, some of the hits, you know, Avadim Hainu, etc. from the Seder uh, playbook. And I'm feeling ex- especially musically inspired. Uh, I, I, listen, officially this episode with Shane O'Neill is um, about the astrology of Anna Nicole Smith. However, uh, I, I did not understand the timing would be that I would be recording on the same day that uh, the Tina Turner uh, HBO documentary came out. So we are now kind of in a double Sagittarius zone. So I do first, let's just get into it because there's a lot of, a lot to say. Last year, uh, you know, my deeply empathic roommate, uh, Amber Alert, Harry Hansen, uh, after a after one of my more intensive therapy sessions, was able to register that I was pretty uh, uh, busted after therapy and invited me to watch um, his VHS unwatched edition of What's Love Got to Do With It, the Tina Turner st- story starring Angela Bassett, which I have to say, my mother, when that movie came out, my mother went alone to see it and I think was the only white woman <laughs> in that theater. Um, so, first of all, I just want to say, like, What's Love Got to Do With It is strange because, and, and I'm understanding it now that I've watched the documentary. The documentary is excellent. You know that any... I will never watch a murder documentary in my life, but if it's a documentary about, like, a white woman that HBO has done, I'm in. And apparently if it's a documentary, you know, God forbid there be more documentaries about black women, uh, the documentary about Tina Turner on HBO is excellent. I think it's, like, really up there with the Jane Fonda one. Um, it's And you realize watching What's Love Got to Do With It, the, uh, the narrative biopic, that... Um, her story can't really be contained into a single narrative. And I think that the thing that really like hit me about this documentary was this idea that she's had multiple lives, multiple careers and, uh, multiple kind of regenesis. And, um, the media is fixated on her story with Ike. And obviously that story is like changed, like, everything about the world and changed a lot of lives for her that story is a trap because she saw that as her beginning and um the way that the media kept retreading it for her was extremely re-traumatizing so the movie itself which is really about that is obviously limiting i think the movie it's very hard also 
obviously, listen, you know, this podcast is uh, very pro Angela Bassett, make no mistake about it. But I think it's like very difficult to convey what Tina Turner's talent is because it literally is just like touched by God. Like, and it's really hard to act as Tina Turner and Angela Bassett. Angela Bassett playing a, a meek anime Bullock who then becomes Tina Turner. It, it's just like such a tricky thing. And in some ways I thought they should maybe have had two actresses um, just because like it, it's so complicated. And the scene in the documentary where they show at the Venice Film Festival where uh, Angela Bassett is with Tina Turner and they ask Tina Turner what she thought of the movie and she says she has never seen it and she refuses to see it because she doesn't want to relive those unhappy memories. And you see Angela Bassett and the director being like, oh, fuck um anyways i feel like it is a a perfect documentary for the aquarian age because i think the documentary could have stopped at she was in an abusive relationship she got away um and she reinvented herself and like let's admire her courage all of which is true we could stop there what the documentary does effectively is um it indicts the media and the culture that she is in for making her relive her trauma for us, which is to say through her music, through her book, through the movie, through all of the press she did, she exposed her, her shadow, uh, hell world. Um, and then she couldn't get away from it. So even after she became the biggest rock and roll star in the world, um, every interview she did brought her back. It was interesting for me because I keep thinking about, I don't know, I've been feeling a lot of like, have I ruined my career as a journalist by changing my name? Like what happened? Did I sabotage it? And I am thinking about a lot of the things that really made me anxious in media, which is I do feel like the press machine uh, such as it is, the apparatus, um, is like uh, human trafficking. I did feel like in my experience of interviewing whatever artists who are of a higher profile um, and seeing the way that photo shoots were arranged, seeing the way that, that they were kind of like asked to do things for the sake of press, um, it was usually very dehumanizing. Like, I really do think that there is this, like, dance monkey dance thing of, like... And it comes back to this thing of, like, well, we're giving you exposure. We're giving you an opportunity. You should be so lucky. But, like, the people doing it... I I don't know. Just, like, all of the people that are interviewing Tina Turner in these clips, it's like, who the fuck are you? And what right do you have to be asking these questions? And, And I do believe in, like, good good interviewing and good journalism good journalism and like i do believe that's possible and like it is something i've taken pride in but there have been a lot of instances in my career where i've been like i really don't feel good about this i feel like i'm using this person in a really sick way um and i love that tina turner is the one who's like yeah this is bullshit i mean it's it's also amazing because when tina turner wins the grammy uh, for what's love got to do with it they cut to grace jones in the audience wearing sunglasses and you're looking at grace jones and you're like you can you can 
in Grace Jones's face, she's like, I am too cool to be with these losers. Like, Grace Jones is at the Grammys and she's like, why am I in this room? So there is just this aspect with Tina Turner of like, uh, that I found very Aquarian of like why, by the way, her part of fortune is an Aquarius, which we will get into in a minute. Why, um, why are you like, why are we settling for this like system that we all belong to for this like apparatus that we're all trapped in? You know what I mean? Um, I love, obviously all the Buddhism stuff is incredible. And the part when she says that she's performing and, um, someone in the audience says to her, Tina, finally you're receiving. Fuck. It, the thing the documentary also like really helped me get, I mean, listen, I have obviously watched Tina Turner and share Tina Turner on the share show at least 7,000 times. It's like, there's nothing like it besides Elton John and Bette Midler on the share show. There's nothing like that, by the way. Um, and like she's obviously like the there is no comparison in terms of uh, a performer obviously I think I've probably shared this story uh, so I'm sorry if this is boring but like when I saw Kalela at the New Yorker festival um, I did ask her I was like you know when did you start taking yourself seriously as an artist and she said I always have to take myself seriously because black artists are held to a higher rigor than white artists and there is just this thing with Tina Turner of like, she had to sing perfectly, she had to dance perfectly, period, and she did. Um, so it, it, it just, it, anyways, um, sorry, I just lost my train of thought there because now I'm thinking about Kalela and how, by the way, speaking of people who don't owe us anything, like Kalela, you are good, babe, okay? You are truly... You are good. Um, as for Tina's astrology, we're just going to do a quick dive because her chart is wild, wild, wild. We have obviously a Sagittarius, um, Venus in Sagittarius in the fifth house. So again, this is why also obviously for her life, of course, the political is personal and like um, she kind of lived this thing that became something bigger than her, very Sagittarius, but for her also... She is Saturn and Venus in, uh, no, she's Sun and Venus in Sagittarius. So she wants to be on the move. She wants to be galloping. And, you know, for her, her South Node and her Saturn is in Aries. So it's interesting because for her, I think all she really wanted was constant movement and her individuality. You know, she has a Gemini moon. So she just really wanted to be present and kind of in the moment. And this Saturn in Aries, to me, it's so interesting. It's almost like that individuality. Um, especially because, uh, her, her Aries is in the ninth house of, of, um, spirituality, which is the domain ruled by Sagittarius. Of course, her Sagittarius is in the fourth house, which is the house of kind of home and ancestry. The fourth house is co-shared by Scorpio. Scorpio, of course, power, manipulation, kind of family dynamics. So there is just this aspect that her ability to kind of, uh, grasp her independence um, and claim her kind of Sagittarian power does get a bit forestalled by um, by this kind of history and this past, uh, which is obviously serves this much bigger purpose, but is also, I think, to her, um, 
quite limiting. Um, you know, Ares is ruled, you know, the, the sun in Sagittarius is ruling Ares. So, so to me, I just see a connection there. What's more, of course, you know, she's a Leo rising. Um, and it's interesting because we have Pluto, uh, the destroyer, the planet of metamorphosis. Pluto is in Leo, but it's in her 12th house, the 12th house of karma, closure, uh, self-undoing, uh, personal history, trauma. So there's just this idea that her Leo, her kind of intrinsic born star power, um, on some karmic level and in some relationship with the past, and again, Pluto rules Scorpio, which is in her her fourth house of kind of home roots ancestry, um, there is this, this metamorphosis and this destruction and regeneration involved in this kind of uh dawn and this kind of launching um you know so i i hope this is clear you know i listen if it's not too bad the other thing i would just say is uh in astrology there's something called a t-square god i'm really on it right now there's something called a t-square which is when you have an opposition so that's two planets uh, at 180 degree angle opposing each other uh and then they're squaring at 90 degrees a central planet so that's w- what happens when we form kind of a pyramid um and this is kind of like a tension breaking point so this links sun in sagittarius moon in gemini Mars in, you guessed it, Pisces in her seventh house of intimate partnerships. Of course, I'm a Mars in Pisces, as was Carrie Fisher, Marilyn Monroe, Elizabeth Taylor. Uh, Mars in Pisces is the bombshell sign. Uh, It is literally, I'm a tiny dancer, like I will be what you want me to be. I'm going to project a fantasy. The other issue about Mars in Pisces, though, is Mars individuality and independence being subsumed in the Piscean oceans of enmeshment in the seventh house of personal resources and also the eighth house. Uh, it shares the eighth house of metamorphosis where she has her Jupiter. So there is just this idea, her sun and her moon in Sagittarius and Gemini in this kind of presence of claiming one's voice and um, the kind of uh, spiritual uh, and higher consciousness reclamation of one's life story uh, is all centralized in this battle for individuality out of, and you know, her Lilith is conjunct her Mars. So this sense of escaping uh, this enmeshed relationship that was consuming her individuality, reclaiming her individuality, but then there is this aspect that that Mars is still somewhat defined by that story of course her jupiter in the eighth house of metamorphosis reclaimed that uh it it, and then turned it because it's still in pisces turned that into a means of um empathic technology which the entire world you know the entire world then consumed and like empathized with her story of course she yes uh, you know just to continue that we have neptune and capricorn in a t-square with jupiter and venus so so again just this thing that she did had a kind of mythic scale. Um, wow, we just flew through that. Sorry. You know, I think we're going to have to do a Tina Turner episode. I, If you believe you are the guest for that episode, let me know and I would uh, let's talk because um, I, I need just the right person to talk about this with. Okay. What the documentary also made me kind of deal with is... There really is nothing like live performance, which is to say her relationship with her live audiences was pure, okay? It was just, regardless of what the media did that fucked with her, 
the relationship with the live audience was pure. Last night, I was fortunate enough to see Charlene Incarnate and Tyler Ashley perform um, a, a the Steps cover of Tragedy by the Bee Gees and The Piper by ABBA. I astral projected. Um, I left my body. Melissa Rich and I... Um, became cosmic beings in that moment because I, I was, it, I don't know how to, exp- I, it, it was a cleansing. It was a healing. And when they show in that documentary at the Tina T- Turner concert, there's this white faggot losing his mind and Tina Turner just like grabs his hand and he starts weeping. It, it, I, I was like, okay, there actually is something pure about this. Like, because I do believe like we're in an Aquarian era. We are all supposed to like get used to these new technologies that we've had to like rely on during the pandemic. Um, but I do understand that there is something about like when it's live, when it's real. And like, I think because I'm usually so out of my body, the often live performance makes me uncomfortable because I'm trapped in myself watching this other person, which is why, you know, as Ruby McAllister says, theater is the most punishing medium but when it's like spiritual you know what are you gonna do um and last night i danced for about four hours straight and like i gotta tell you i think dancing is like the purest version of myself that there is and like i do think in a in another life well these are the two alternate lives i would have loved and maybe there's still time to be a lufthansa flight attendant so that might have required like maybe if my ancestors someone had gotten like stashed away by and hidden out by some righteous gentiles and then i had grown up german okay possible or if I had been like Britney Spears' backup dancer, like one of her hot, hot backup dancers, that's what I want. Okay. Um, what's interesting for me that I'm realizing, you know, in my sobriety and in my decrepitude is one time Ruby said to me that faith from Buffy is basically sexless. And like, I am faith and I, I believe that like, for me, I feel powerful when I'm dancing. I feel wild and I feel free. I don't know that I feel sexual. Like, I'm realizing now, like, for me, if I were to hook up with someone on the dance floor, I think it would just be, like, trauma and codependency. I don't know that I would feel, like, in control. And I I have, you know, there were so many times, especially when I was, like, 18, 19, 20, 21 in Tel Aviv where that would happen. And it, you know... It was cinematic. When I was 18 uh, at Gay Pride in Houston at South Beach, which was, let me tell you, when George Bush was president, we still had mega clubs. It was huge. Um, Same old fucking story by um, Cyndi Lauper came on. And I like made out with this gorgeous blonde Gentile and it really was cinematic. And when I turned 21... um, I was at the estate in Boston and um, On the Floor by J-Lo came on and I made out with um, 
oh god this ra at my college um who then gave me scabies and like was not apologetic about it i was like you know i spread that in three countries but thank you okay um and for me there was just this panic of like okay this kiss on the dance floor is very pure but what happens next what happens when we have sex am i gonna be okay like all of the sexual trauma comes up so i don't i don't really know and on the dance floor last night i was like wow i am just not like this girl like i'm not really it's not really happening for me here so i don't know i don't know you know maybe transactionality is better for me um and that's okay but 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 the freedom was something um okay i want to say what else do i do i have to say um I watched The Lost Boys and A Nightmare on Elm Street this week. A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, which is the good one. You know, I don't really have anything to say besides they're fabulous and they're a faggy. Um, I'm thinking of getting rid of my mustache. I am still watching The Falcon and Winter Soldier. I enjoyed it. Sorry? I enjoyed it much more this week. Um, And, you know, it's interesting because I've never really been someone who's crazy about queer coding. Like, I... Uh, I've just never been someone who's like, they need to reveal that Chris Evans' character in Captain America is gay for Bucky. I'm like, okay, yeah, I don't think like the most risk-averse multimedia, multi-billion dollar conglomeration on Earth is going to um, just like out their characters like that. And I also just like, I think that in... Okay, listen, I'm listening to the Cerebro podcast uh, every single week. I'm, I'm obsessed with it. I think it's like Talmudic-level scholarship. And Connor Goldsmith has done a really good job with his guests of just kind of elucidating in the X-Men mythos how most of the characters just are queer, like coded or not, they just are. Um, and that's given me kind of a deeper appreciation. I'm never going to like... I, I, I don't know. There's some aspects of it where I'm like, okay, girl, like... Um, I, I just think like there, these are still owned by these like corporations. So like how queer can, can some of these characters be? However, one way or another, let's just call a spade a spade. Sebastian Stan's character or Sebastian Stan or something is not straight. I don't know what to tell you there. But even I, uh, in my cold, bitter uh, heart, will tell you he's not straight. Um, Speaking of the way that our generation is fucked up when it comes to queer politics, listen, the Lil Nas X video is triumphant. Um, it's uh, It's like if Lil Kim and Bimini um, created... A, 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 a messianic um, Lucifer Morningstar contemporary retelling. Um, I do think Lil Nas X, along with Zendaya and Timothy Chalamet, uh, they they represent the kind of uh, trifold face of God of the Godhead. They are the Messiah, um, and you know these are. I think these are Saturn in Pisces kids. Um, hold on, I just want to really get clear on that because. You know, I'm born in 1990. My generation is Saturn, Neptune, and Uranus all in Capricorn. So we're all just like literally obsessed with like sucking Uncle Sam's dick. And we just want cops to like us. Um, These kids are Saturn in Pisces, right? 
Where is it? Oh my god, he's Saturn in Taurus. Oy vey, god, they're young. Uh, what is Timothy's Sonar? Hold on, hold on. Just everyone calm down, okay? Um, the point is, like, Timothy is, god damn, he is Saturn in Pisces, Moon in Pisces, of course, Messiah, um, and he is a, he's a lot, a lot of planets in Capricorn Aquarius, but to me, generationally speaking, if we think of these kind of outer planets, Saturn, Neptune, and Uranus, um, you know, these young ones have, um, Neptune, uh, Lil Nas X has Neptune and Uranus in Aquarius, there's kind of this upending, this more kind of revolutionary spirit. There's this upending of the social order, of the kind of social mainframe we work in. There's not as much of an, a, a power struggle with the man, such as it is, um, which I find very, um, I, I don't know, it, it gives me more hope. I, I thought the video was incredible. I thought he's so sexy. I, I'm just like shocked that anyone can be so self-actualized. Besides that... Um, can you believe that if you were going to be a drag queen and you named yourself Tina Burner, like, okay. Um, you know, release the beast. Uh, I hope you enjoy Shane O'Neill. I cannot believe I'm only now having him on the pod. And um, let me know what you think of Anna Nicole. Talk to you later. Um, moi. Okay, welcome to another banger uh to cover the cosmic legacy of anna nicole smith this is a big one for this podcast and for me generally i have recruited um someone who should have been on the podcast a long time ago uh one of the first people i wrote about in new york i think i was writing about you in like late 2015 which is shocking um the one and only shane o'neill shane shane Oh, um, David, it is a pleasure to be here. And don't think too hard about time is a flat circle. Don't worry about the years washing away. Like, you know, we're all dust. We're all stardust. And time time means nothing. So David. to give everyone some perspective, Shane is a fellow uh, keeper of the scrolls, an ancient one. Uh, Shane and I will, you know, we were at Stonehenge. Uh, the first go around, we'll be there at the at the end for the for the last show. Well, and I'd like to be there before that too, like you know, for one of the um, one of just the actual rituals that are happening in this earthly time of Stonehenge. Mm -hmm. That's definitely on the bucket list. So. Yes, are crossed. And if you've all read reports about goat head, go goat skulls being found in the Vale of Kashmir, you have Shane to thank for that. You're welcome. You, <laughs> are you a fan of goat meat? Or do you eat meat, David? Yes, which I just I I'm really having a hard time with that. But yes, I do. Um, I'm a fan of goat cheese. I I have not gone into goat meat yet. So. I've never. Well, I'm I'm also. I always say I'm like one documentary away from being vegan, but thank I don't want to. I don't want to watch that documentary. But <laughs> Last night I was hanging out with people who were talking about how much they loved barbacoa goat meat. And I was like, every time I've eaten goat meat, it tastes like sandpaper. So maybe- Barbacoa is so, make I'm thinking about Chipotle now and I'm having like also talk about gulag uh, mm. repressed memories. Well, maybe, maybe I'll start slow by not cutting out meat from my diet, but I'll just cut out goat meat from my diet <laughs> to start with on the process of becoming a vegan. Sustainable. Yeah. Um, okay, so Shane, this is what's interesting for me. 
I was talking with my mother about Anna Nicole yesterday. And you, what you have to understand is that I'm from Houston mm-hmm. and the trial took place in Houston. Anna Nicole Smith is a Houston girl. So- the trial where she showed up wearing the shirt that said spoiled with a dollar sign on the S. Okay, we are already in. I cannot find a, sh- a, a photo of it, but I remember Newsweek reported on it and I still can't find a photo of it. So yeah, that obviously was iconic. And, you know, my mom, I just talked to my mom yesterday and I remember she had said this because my mom's an attorney. So my mom was like, I would share the elevator with her every day. Um, and wait, your mother shared the elevator with Anna Nicole at the courthouse? Yeah, because my mom's a probate attorney and Anna Nicole's uh, trial was uh, was probate Will's guardianship, which is what my mom does. Shut so my mom door. was just like constantly seeing her. And I remember that from when I was like nine and 10. And my mom just shared that with me again, which is iconic. But, you know, my mom didn't really understand why I would want to do her astrology. And I said, you know, she, gay people love her. And, and when my mom asked why, it was one of those things that I had a hard time explaining. And I'm wondering if that's something that you can explain. Oh yeah, very easily. I mean, like, so a few things. First of all, I don't think anyone said it better than the true Hollywood story about Anna Nicole Smith that came out in the nineties, which they just said, beauty for money and money for beauty. That's like (laughs) the entire Anna Nicole Smith story. Um, I think, you know, there's a a real like bimbofication thing happening on on Twitter or on the internet. I think that's sort of on the wane, but you know, there was that whole thing about like left-wing people being like, be a bimbo, bimbo, blah, 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 like left-wing. And so like, obviously there's no, there's no better self-empowered bimbo than Anna Nicole Smith. You can argue about how much self-empowerment she had, but like someone who was just like, oh, you you think there should be more to me? There's actually less than you see. That's not entirely true, but just just that that whole aesthetic. I think for me personally, there's there's several things that I that I love about Anna Nicole Smith. For one thing, there's all I think so, you know, you can pick up a copy of like how to be gay and get into like why the gay male imagination often has to project itself onto larger fantasies of femininity. Um, and I don't view that as a bad thing. I don't think that we need to only talk about gay experiences. I think the gay, um, the gay and the queer uh aptitude for fantasy and projecting yourself onto larger narratives is beautiful. With Anna Nicole specifically, I think there are super weird messages that women face that which is that like a super weird thing about like, you're supposed to be feminine, but you're not supposed to be hyper feminine. And you're supposed to need a man, but you're not supposed to be a gold digger. And you're supposed to be beautiful, but you're not supposed to be vain. And Anna Nicole Smith, at least in her public persona is just like, I'm the most beautiful girl in the world. And I married a billionaire who I clearly was mostly in it for the money for. And I don't have any interest in being smart or appearing to be anything but like this this huge hyper projection of like some of the complicated things that get uh, put on women and she was just like yep i'm all those things period um, okay <laughs> so i think that's a big part of it i think there's also obviously gay men i have you know i'm i'm in recovery and like you know i think that, that gay men and other people have like um a weird relationship to people who have sort of like self-destructive relationships to substances lord knows miss anna nicole smith did um but i think more than anything it's just that like when you have a strange relationship with your gender or your body as many of us do seeing someone who is 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 taking these things that people have a lot of ambivalence and a lot of like um paradoxical hatred and love for and seeing someone just like embody this divine 
shallow, beautiful, um, wealth-oriented, blonde mm. <laughs> femininity is, 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 I mean, whether it's something to aspire to in real life or not is sort of beyond the, the point. It's, it speaks to this like large fantasy of being able to survive in a world that can feel hostile to us. Uh, you have just cracked this shit wide open, Shane. Uh, there's so much there that I, 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 we just have to kind of stop there and unpack it. So let's begin with the astrology and let's just really get going. Okay. Like former president Bill Clinton and like Miss Brittany Jean Spears, Anna Nicole Smith is a Libra rising. No. <laughs> so if Libra sets the course of her chart, sets the themes of her chart, if Libra kind of uh, launches the hero's journey of her chart, you know, we established in the Britney Spears episode with Dexter Driscoll, Libra is a mirror. Mm -hmm. uh, Libra is the sign of relationality and reconciliation uh, and interplay. Libra is all about um, what do you see in me? What do you want to see in me? What can I be for you? Wow. Okay. Um, Libra, of course, is ruled by Venus. Venus uh, is, you know, the goddess, love, femininity, kind of receptivity. Anna Nicole Smith's chart, we have in Libra right on the ascendant, which means to say like about a second after she took her first breath, we have Libra, uh, we have Venus and the moon in Libra. Mm -hmm. um shortly followed by her south node her south node is kind of her point of lower consciousness <laughs> the south node is the the southern uh axis of the moon's elliptical it represents lower consciousness but the moon obviously is very connected to the feminine the moon is often connected to uh like the mother and the ancestry um which we'll get into the moon is very much connected to the kind of inner life the soul the feelings okay but we have venus and the moon right here on the ascendant so to begin, there is just the Venus incarnate aspect, which is you are born with Venus right here in its ruling sign of Libra. Um, there is this, and I think especially for women of that era, because I think to com compared to most women of that era, um, she is actually Venusian, like she is full bodied. Yes, she very is, much like, so. Actually, a Venus de Milo, unlike. Yes. Um, every other emaciated. Well, woman. girl, watch season one of the Anna Nicole show, and she looks like the Venus of Wallendorf. She's always <laughs> beautiful and voluptuous. There's nothing, even in trim spot, she's never been. She's never been a waif. Exactly, and I just actually was rewatching uh, the eating contest episode, which is <sighs> wild. I love her um, so much. Yeah, it's, it's I'm getting amazing. choked up just. Um, <laughs> so. Already, we're playing with themes of projection. Um, we're playing well, I, with themes. Can I ask a question too? Yeah. Is there is there some relation? What's the relationship in your mind with Libra and sexuality? I don't know what that would be, but it's funny that Anna Nicole, Britney Spears, and Bill Clinton all have these like incredibly latent like the public has such latent sexual relationships with all three. That is such a great question. Okay, so Venus rules Taurus and Venus rules Libra. Taurus is all about the self. So I have nice things. I feel good. This is how I'm getting my organism. Libra is all about 
others? What am I giving you? What am I projecting for you? Mm. So the reason that, not the reason why, but a contributing factor to Bill Clinton being able to charm literally anyone. I mean, I know that he might be seen as a cliche now, but like the charm, the charisma of Bill Clinton is truly devastating to think about is because this Venus power, especially Anna Nicole, I would say more than them because she has Venus in Libra. Uh, Bill Clinton, I think also did have Venus in Libra in her first house, is this ability to, um, I am going to be what you want sexually. I am going to wow. be your magic mirror sexually and yeah. I am going to give you what you need. This is heightened by her Libra moon. So I have a Libra moon. I don't have it in the first house. That's truly, I think, her downfall. Mm. Um, you know, Libra moon is, uh, my friend Layla Halabian would say it's 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 unfortunate um, because Libra is all about uh, harmony, beauty, and balance, which means to say keeping everyone happy. And the moon is your sense of personal security. So it truly oh. is. I will do anything to make everyone else happy. Yes, yes, yes. Even if that means sublimating my own identity. Yes. So with the Venus packed on top of the moon, we're already just getting this sense of her kind of manifest um, power is this kind of Venusian goddess projection uh, that can dazzle people. Great. But the sense of self is totally ungirded. Uh, and one is more or less at the cost of the other. Um, and then the, the other thing I just want to say to, to go off of what you said about love for money and money for love as we've established, Venus rules Libra in this first house. Uh, Venus also rules Taurus. Taurus is the sign of personal resources. And Anna Nicole's Taurus shares her seventh house of intimate partnership and marriage and her eighth house of death inheritance. Okay. So in Taurus, we see Lilith. Lilith is this kind of uh, the dark side of the moon, representing the void, representing. Mm -hmm. Uh, exiled femininity. Mm -hmm. So we are getting just this sense of the, the Taurus, which is very much about money. Uh, and in this eighth house of inheritance, the seventh house of marriage, uh, playing this huge theme in her life with Venus in the first house, it's all kind of tapped into there. And then we're seeing, of course, this Lilith there is going to show us this theme of Yes, her her money, th this these riches that come in, but also this exile that happens through that. Am I right? And I don't know much about Lilith, but am I right in thinking that she also has like there's something about the Lilith myth that involves like revenge and vengeance? Yes, Lilith is really um, Lilith is it's interesting. Lilith is the dark side of the Libra mirror, which is she becomes everything people want to hate. So. Mm. The, the Kabbalists basically use Lilith for anything they could think of, which is when they wanted to discourage men from uh, having any sexual emission outside of the marriage bed, they would say that um, Lilith is going to take that cum and turn it into a, her demon babies who will come. And it, it turned out that it was just the gay men in their lives that were going to do that. So Lilith Thank is Thank you. Just, and yes. Lilith does, by the way, Lilith is said to haunt uh, bathrooms, <laughs> public bathrooms and like, <laughs> Public parks and exactly. uh, video arcades. <laughs> Do they have those in the Bible? <laughs> She's there. So yes, there is this aspect of um, 
uh, of exile, gaslighting. Uh, she becomes like a symbol of like, don't become her. Where do, where are you feeling the revenge aspect? I'm curious about oh, that. Oh, I was just curious. I, I, cause I didn't know about, about Lilith. Um, I mean, I've, I've heard the name and I generally had a sense of it, but for some reason I thought there was something like, you know, like if you want to get revenge on your lover, you pray to Lilith and she'll like kill him in the night for you or something. Yes. But the yes. idea that that's going along with her marriage and, uh, that Lilith is popping up in her chart for inheritance and marriage, I find very interesting because like there was something so transactional about that that marriage that she had to the billionaire whose name is escaping me right now. Um, and yes. that like then basically this marriage literally led to his whole family seeking vengeance against her and and trying to like break up the transaction that she had, uh, um, she had agreed on for better or for worse. I have my own opinions on it. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I did not realize that his family were the Koch brothers. Oh, I did not either. Is that the case? It was like, oh, you know, she sued Coke Industries. And I was like, wait a minute. I didn't realize that either. My like, God. The Cokes see, who own Lincoln Center. Like, what? Well, this is, see, there you go. It's like when people think, when people dismiss her as frivolous, she was at the epicenter of real power in the United States of America. That is big. And, you know, I mean, we'll get into this, but it is interesting that I do want to say, you know, this might be a little fringe, but in terms of a Libra rising, hello, to have like this, this, these legal proceedings, which in some form or another went up until 2014. Oh yeah. And, and I think are ongoing. Am I right? I guess I'm not certain, but yeah. So it's quite a legacy. um, And, you know, we'll get into that a little bit later where I see that happening in her chart. Um, yeah, so let's just look over here at, at her second house. Um, well, well, actually, I just want to continue a little bit before that with, with the themes of the Libra moon and Venus in Libra. Um, when her son Daniel died. Oh, <laughs> God. I can't handle it. When her son Daniel died, she reportedly wanted to climb in the grave with him. Yes, I know. I know. Um, which, you know... That is Libra moon in the first house, which is basically the moon is the mother. Libra is the self-sublimating instinct. And it's just kind of like really there of just like, take me. (laughs) Well, this was thing because it's so macabre, like it's so dark, you know? Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but I I recall that wasn't there a similar incident at her husband's funeral? Because she showed up in her wedding dress and I believe she tried to, like embrace <laughs> embrace the coffin at, at the funeral as well this is like a pattern in her life um that breaks my fucking heart man that's so fucking sad um, um also though do, side note do you know that there's a phenomenon of people who have survived traumatic events that happen in public of people wanting to return to the site and lie on the ground no this is like a, a phenomenon. I, I heard it because there, I heard in a podcast that had an interview with a woman who had survived uh, that sniper shooting in Austin. Mm. And she said like, I just have always wanted to go back to where I was and lie down on the ground. And some psychologist was like, this is a common thing that people want to go and literally like touch the earth with their body. So I sort of see that as happening of just like, this is a woman with like lots of connection to like earthly energy and like having a visceral need to sort of reconnect to that. That is so heartbreaking. Wow. That is so, um, what you just described, by the way, is so, you know, obviously 
the empress is venus mm-hmm. uh, which is her ruling planet so i it's very the empress of like Cthonian. Cthonian? how do you pronounce that word it Cthonian. has to be right? <laughs> yeah. it, uh, it, there's it has to yeah. be <laughs> uh rest in peace daniel what a well that i just i can't think about the the grave the grave injustice of her having to survive that before she died just like really breaks my heart it's, it's very sad. It, yeah and she died soon after so oh, that, yeah, that yeah. to me is that moon right there in the first house which is this maternal instinct yeah. um i read an interview with her former lesbian lover sandy Powledge. let's not forget Ooh, that phase I, yeah um and the way she described her and and again i I am a Libra moon. Okay. So just so you know, I am bashing myself <laughs> here and not Anna Nicole. I just really want to lay out what this is like. <laughs> she described her as quote, hungry for love, hungry for approval, just like a bucket with a hole in the bottom. Yes, yes, yes. And yes. there is just this aspect of like, I'll do anything. I just need to know that I'm loved. And it's very difficult to like, get that. Um, and I think for her, like in a better world, her Aries, you know, her seventh house of intimate partnership is shared between Aries and Taurus. And she has her North node, the the high point of the moon's consciousness and elliptical is in Aries. Her Lilith is in Taurus. I really think in a better world and maybe for brief glimpses, she was someone who through relationships was supposed to get her sense of security and mm. even her sense of validated individuality um she didn't get that as a child you know she has right mars is in her, her fourth house which off the bat means to me like okay her individuality as a young person was squashed and then you know she has uranus in in her 12th house of self-undoing personal history karma and closure uranus is ruling her fourth house aquarius so there is just this sense that she was trying to get away from the world she came from um, sure. i was one of the episodes i was watching uh of the anna nicole show she says I didn't have a childhood, so I'm having one now. So there is just this sense, I think, and this is where her Sagittarius son comes into, which, you know, again, Britney Spears also had Sagittarius son. Really? Yeah. Her Sagittarius son wanted to go once, you know, Sagittarius rules the thighs. Sagittarius is the galloping centaur. So there was this sense of, I think she was able to really propel herself very far in her life, but... I think for her, the sense of security and the sense of kind of firmament of the individual self, the Aries element, uh, and the sense of home, because Mars is in her fourth house of home, was supposed to come through relationships. And in some ways, it did. um, And in other ways, it didn't. Well, we'll never fully understand what the hell was going on with her relationship with Howard. I mean, that just seems like, like something that you could unravel for the rest of your life. Yeah, Um, but I don't know. I mean, if nothing else, it seemed like she the two of them stuck by each other and more likely than not. uh, I'm talking about her her lawyer, who I think she had a commitment ceremony with Howard Stern, not. Oh, yeah. Who's in every goddamn scene of that show. But like they if nothing else, it seems like there were like if I were a betting man, I would bet there were some very unhealthy dynamics in that relationship. But they did seem loyal to each other on some level. So I'm hoping that maybe in that sense, she had maybe a twisted, maybe not perfect, maybe ultimately destructive relationship, but that that was giving her some of what she needed. So, and I I think in the original relationship with, with Marshall, you know, obviously there's 
a lot there but i i think the queerness comes in which is it is a relationship that the dominant social order like will never accept well ne we'll never accept and yet like expects that's the part that i find so in like that's where i start to get my hackles up about it is that like there's all this fear and suspicion of like the woman is being duplicitous about what she wants from this whereas anna nicole smith basically short of coming right out and literally saying i am a gold digger was pretty mm -hmm. fucking upfront about what her intentions were with yeah. this relationship and that that was that was somehow even that was punished even more the fact that she was admitting she wasn't doing a kabuki and i'm sorry i shouldn't use that phrase she wasn't going through this like false ritual about like being in love that she was enacting this feared character of the gold digger and being honest about it that was even worse than if she had if she had just repeated over and over again that she was in love with them this is really interesting to me shane because um if we see you know we're looking at her scorpio now in her scorpio we have uh mercury and neptune uh mm. neptune is obviously the planet of uh, inebriation of oh shit and blurriness but you know we also have mercury which is her communication and her self-expression this is in her second house of personal resources and so her personal resources slurred speech is what you're saying slurred <laughs> neptune speech mercury we will that one thank you you just put that together i didn't even have to I, that actually did not occur to me which is shocking um Scorpio does not belong in the second house. Scorpio belongs at the opposite end of the chart in the house of shared resources. Scorpio for her is in the house of second uh, of personal resources. So her idea of personal resources comes through a Scorpionic point of view, which of course Scorpio is um, power, inheritance, control, uh, enmeshment, uh, you know, money for the Scorpio is very love for money, which is what can I do to secure power? Okay. There's that aspect one, her Mercury in Scorpio, Scorpio is very much about truth. And it's interesting because her Mercury in Scorpio, Mercury rules Gemini in her eighth house of uh, death and inheritance and Virgo, which co-rules her 11th house of kind of her 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 public uh, appearance in the larger network, but also mm. her 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 self undoing her 12th mm. house of undoing. So there is just this aspect of um, her, her, her it, it, the transparency, um, which in some ways gave her, you know, Jupiter is in her 11th house of networking community. So her total transparency, which I do think has a lasting, like almost spiritual resonance um, in this, while also I think exposing Virgo is very much about process. Scorpio is very much about truth, especially when it comes to death, inheritance, manipulation. Uh, and Gemini is so present that Gemini is not really able to, um, Gemini is not even able to like be coy or smart. Gemini just like is in the moment as it's happening. You know, it's just interesting that this is all her fame, uh, the inheritance that kind of launched that and, um, her, her, this, these kind of second house scorpionic issues of how is she going to kind of secure the bag all comes out, uh, in her ability and inability to, to, to play this, you know, to, to control the narrative in any way. Um, I think she was like a great revelator, but she was incapable of like, yeah, she, she gave it fully. She, she gave the full truth. 
Oh yeah, there was very, I mean, I think that's part of what was, so what I cherish about her unironically is that like you just, the, 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 the beauty of Anna Nicole Smith is from her reality show. I mean, I just find, I find that was my entry point to really adoring her and that you could, you could write volumes about that. And what I found fascinating about that was the real time spin that happened on that show, which they did such a good job with, where you'd have Anna Nicole say one simple thing and then you'd watch Howard for two minutes explain what she really meant. So like when Shelly showed up and she's just like, no, I want to go to bed. And then Howard's like, Anna explained that Mahay is in the past and she's in the present and she loves <laughs> Shelly and Shelly's great, but like, we're just, we're focusing more on the present than the past. And then they cut back to Anna and she's just like, I'm hungry. You know, it's just like this, like she, she was basically incapable of, of not telling us how she felt one way or the other with her face, whether her words were matching or whatever, she just like her emotions come through um, very strongly. So I'm related right. that it's to what so you're saying. It's so good with that Mercury Neptune of just like, it, it, there's a blur there. <laughs> Slurred speech, baby. Oh man. <laughs> Um, there's also, I mean, well, this is, I'm sorry, to, I don't mean to derail this. Also, I'm oh. so impressed with how knowledgeable you are about, about the work of astrology, David. Really, <laughs> I mean, I know it's your thing, but it's incredible. I'm just really impressed. Honey, thank you. Very, a lot of facility there. Um, there's also, I mean, and maybe this is I'm just something to look out for because this just crossed my mind. Just, just even thinking about her, there's something about her that I just, I, there's, I want to take care of her so badly. There's something where I just feel so protective of her. I know she's a grown woman. I know that she has, you know, more resources and more of a platform than a lot of people, but there's something about her personality, even as a model where you just want to like, you just, re I really, really root for her slash want to protect her from people hurting her. Yeah. Um, there's an innocence uh, that comes you know, it's interesting because this might be me overreaching, but let's just see. You know, she is Saturn in Aries. Um, and I was talking with a friend of mine who's an astrologer about the Saturn in Aries kids who are... Uh, Lil Nas X is a Saturn in Aries. So oh. the kids who are in their early 20s right now are Saturn in Aries. Oh. Um, and we were just talking about how they, when they get on Twitter, they think that everyone is problematic because um, Saturn, which is very much about rules and restriction and structure, doesn't really do well in Aries because Aries is so myopic and Aries mm. is so of the self mm. that you're not really aware of a larger framework or a perspective. And you kind of think that you're the judge, jury, and executioner, which is why, of course, you and I, who are these old crones, uh, when we go and interact with the, the youth on Twitter, we're like, wow, they, they can they uh, can tend to be a little bit uh, like myopic and restricted. Mm -hmm, you know? mm -hmm. um, and she is Saturn and Aries. So, so to me there, I'm getting a little bit of a sense of, of innocence of like, oh, in some ways she really got how the world worked because she, she played this game to the level that she was taking on the Koch brothers. So let's, you know, I'm not saying she's, I do think that that second house uh, Scorpio and that second house sun in Sagittarius, which is like, let's take this all the way until I get my money. You know, mm -hmm. let's go all the fucking way. I'm not saying she's completely naive, but I think that the Saturn in Aries uh, aspect just comes in with this, uh, this, this sense. There is a little bit of a sense of naivete about like what the world is like, you know? 
Very um, much so. Yeah. And like, what are the governing Saturn is very much about like the governing institutions that control our life. And it's like, you're not fully getting this, are you? You know? Um, the other thing I would just say is like, she, she has Jupiter in her, Jupiter is the planet of kind of abundance. Jupiter is the planet of kind of expansion. That is in her 11th house of network, uh, kind of her network social life, the kind of where uh, the, the larger spectrum in which she's received. Uh, and Jupiter is ruling her second house uh, and third house, second house of personal resources, third house of um, self-expression, but also the third house of daily life, which I think is interesting, Sagittarius. Mm. Um, which to me, there, there is just this aspect of um, the re the reason she's kind of a reality TV pioneer, I think, is she, she brought her, her fame came through just being her mm -hmm. and just like, there's not any great, <laughs> there's not really much there. Um, and her Jupiter is in a square with her son. Uh, her son's in Sagittarius in the second house of personal resources. And her Jupiter uh, is in Virgo in her 11th house. I wrote this quote down. A Jupiter sun square is known as, quote, the squanderer. Oh, the squanderer. That's a it's, little judgy. I know. Western yeah. astrology. It's like, okay. Um, so <laughs> anyways, there's a lot there. I, I would love to hear from you about it's it is surreal watching the reality show now and you know i of course am a mad tv child and i grew up with the stephanie weir incredible uh, that is an incredible is, parody should be in the smithsonian and the moma like it's so so next level but i'm just you know i want to hear from you about the reality show in terms of its what it did its legacy all of that well what, what first crossed my mind when you were saying that is that you said like famous for the sake of herself it's not exactly that like it, it's not like the kardashians or like charo where it's just sort of these like these like personalities or whatever yeah. i mean let's be real she was famous because she was um conventionally beautiful and like mm -hmm. as far as like she looks just like i always think of like her playboy spreads which i find just incredible yeah. it's like it, it's it's like a, a horny boy's drawing of what he thinks a beautiful woman is supposed to look like it's like blonde busty never anything but grinning you know just like like so let, let's be real it's her beauty that got her her fame and money and i do want to say like you know when i was talking with my mom yesterday my mom did say this which was so interesting like my mom said even from the 90s when anna nicole smith took over for i think claudia schiffler uh for guests yes baby the, my I mom mean, she, said ultimate since guest girl. then no one has had that look no and no yeah. one ever will i mean she's just like there she's ultimate guest girl i mean and that's the venus yeah. yes and and so i think what i find incredible what people okay so there's two things that at once happening on the reality show the one is the macabre of just like let's laugh at this woman she's clearly having drug issues and and there's we're sort of like clowning around on the other hand and simultaneously this is a woman who got fat and was told basically you know basically your only worth is to not be fat once you're fat that's the end of your worth and so starting this reality show at this point which is supposed to be the end of her entire career the end of the end of everything that we thought was valuable about this woman is gone. And this is the beginning of her reality TV show. As a fat person myself, I find that really, I find it inspiring. Um, I also find it, um, I, I just find it mind blowing. And also let's be totally honest, there's 
you know, for me being like, what, a, what an icon, which is how I feel for every one of me being like, what an icon there were, you know, 10 guys just being like, what a disgusting fat pig. Ha, 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 ha. Right. So there's, there's a lot of pain in it, but what I personally take away from it and personally love is like, this was the, this was the point where she was supposed to be at the end of her career. And this was her saying like, actually, this is just the beginning of another chapter. Um, and the way that she was saying it was just <laughs> on the pilot climbing into a bed for a house she was shopping for and saying, oh, I masturbate, which is still the funniest. I mean, like, it's the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. And then watching the people continue with her house shopping as though, yeah, she wants to masturbate. What are you going to do? Yeah, it's interesting because Saturn, uh, not Saturn, Sagittarius is all about more and more and more. Jupiter rules Sagittarius. Jupiter is literally the planet of expansion and it mm -hmm. is the planet of more and more and more. And when we see a sun in Sagittarius squaring its, its ruling planet, which is Jupiter, um, in this kind of party house, which is the 11th house, and that Jupiter is in Virgo. Virgo is all about limits, the body, perfection, all of that. It, it, it's like that to me it's almost yes i said the squanderer but it's almost like this kind of um it, it it it's this the battle of of excess and the the consequences of excess and her uh, to me this square really comes in you know the way you just put it so eloquently is virgo is the sign of limits jupiter is the sign of endlessness and mm. abundance so there's a clash going on and to me i see her sagittarius sun which is in her personal in her second house of self-worth that is where the iconoclasm comes of just like i don't i'm gonna fucking push this until they cancel me i'll get big if i want i'm gonna i'm gonna be blown out blasted and i'm gonna push this you know, in, in a lot of ways, I think she was pushing against the, if we think of Virgo, not just as her own uh, limits, but as like the kind of social limits, because it's in the 11th house, which is the larger world that's watching you. You know, it's interesting because you would think of this Sun Jupiter thing as a downfall, but the way you put it just now, I'm like, oh, it's kind of her triumph, which is her being like, I'm going to push this as far as it can go. Well, and on the the Mad TV parody of it, the, I don't know, was it a recurring yes. thing? I just think of it one was sketch recurring. In but I remember on the first one they did, they said, "Get it? She's fat and drug addicted," <laughs> and like it's so dark, but it's also so true, and it's also part of what I loved about it. Yes, um, it, it reminds me a lot. If you want further reading on this, uh, you should Google Cat uh, Marnell's essay called I think it's called Why Like. It was she wrote it after Whitney Houston died and it was called like why I won't shut up about like using drugs or something. Um, there was something about that show that I found. First of all, it's it's hard to explain that there was in some ways the similar a similar relationship, but there was just a much less healthy understanding about what addiction was and what partying was and just what mental health was like. It wasn't that long ago, but it was long ago enough that it was like it was it was a different attitude so i think that, yes. that, that that part of it it just could never be made now but what i do appreciate about it is that like i think that we're really comfortable we were then and we certainly are now we're comfortable with addiction narratives that have a clean ending of like and then you find jesus i mean you know find find your higher power find god and like and cleanly break with all the bad bad things you used to do and then like have a good good life and I think that one of the things I liked about that show as someone with addiction issues myself was that it, it was just free of that moralizing. Granted, it's a terrible ending. It ends with her dying, you know, addicted to drugs and, and having a really hard time with it. But that like, it wasn't putting this fake 
I mean, the show was canceled before she lost weight. The show was never went through like a rehab redemption story arc. And there's something honest is the wrong word for it because nothing about that TV show or any reality TV show is like honest. But there's, there's yes. And, and like, I was, I remember just like watching her at her birthday party, take Jaeger shots with the Jaeger dripping down her mouth. And I'm like, fuck yes. That's how I like to consume Jaeger shots as an alcoholic. And um, it's, it's, I don't know. There's something, um, there's something pure, pure or honest are not the right words, but it's getting at what I'm, what I'm trying to get at that I appreciate it. (laughs) So Anna Nicole has Pluto and Uranus in the 12th house. The 12th house is the house of closure, karma. um, I would say legacy, but also personal undoing. Mm. Pluto is the destroyer. Mm. It is the planet of death and transformation. Pluto rules Scorpio. Scorpio, as we've established, is in her house of sec- of personal resources, mm-hmm. uh, where we have her Neptune, her planet of inebriation. My mom told me, and this was so interesting, because my mom literally knows everyone who works in that court. And she Incredible. said to me, when Anna Nicole first started showing up, because classically she would show up to court looking like a bombshell. Incredible. Uh, and this is the Venus in Libra, is... She would show up to court. Of course, everyone is dazzled by her because she is the mirror. She is what she is saying. I'm going to be your fantasy today. You're a bailiff working in a courthouse in Houston. I am going to fucking give you a vision of Venus incarnate. Okay. But... Which, by the way, David, my tattoo of Anna Nicole I have on my calf is adapted from a photo of her in court. Really? It's a photo of her laughing during her court case. And it's just... it's. It's a beautiful image. I glossy, no glossy Bowman adapted it for me, but that was the reference image that I gave him. Thank you, because I'm wanting to get a glossy. This is interesting because I want to get a. Uh, there's a Wonder Woman JG Jones illustration where she's uh, blindfolded, so she looks to me like Venus, mm-hmm. and I want that by Glossy on my arm. Okay. Oh, get it, girl. Interesting. Um, T. Okay. <laughs> My mom said that the every all the court employees uh, grew to uh, lose their uh, their their sense of charm the, because she would start turning up to court bombed out, <laughs> like just blasted. Um, so you know it's just interesting where Scorpio, which is so much about inheritance. And that is so at the center of her, her um, second house of personal resources. And then it's sh- shared by Sag, which like Sag is not <laughs> it, it, Sagittarius is so good at courage and pushing the envelope and speaking out. But like, I don't think Sag is very good at adjudicating for the self in a personal manner. Sag is very good at being like, this is the system that we're battling against, man. But in terms of just like Anna Nicole, where were you uh, on this specific date? It's just like not going to go very well. Oh, oh, those the footage of that is so good. It's so and good. And she's just like, I'm I don't kidding. remember. Yeah, and then they're like, so do you remember good. what happened yesterday? No. Right. So <laughs> there's it. just this aspect with this Pluto in the 12th house ruling that Scorpio of like the self undoing happening. Yep. Oh, you know? that's so brilliant. Yeah. Um. The, the the other thing, what's interesting, I would just say also about Virgo, 
Virgo ruling, not just, you know, Virgo is co-ruling. Uh, I'm, I do it Placidus. D don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> her 12th house of undoing karma legacy and closure is shared by Virgo and Libra. So Libra, obviously the scales justice, then Virgo, of course, which is all about uh, breakdown and process. So it's just interesting that, you know, the case with the Koch brothers, all of that has went on for so long because I do think that's very much tied in with kind of her legacy. What I want to say, though, is that a lot of her Libra uh, is is in this 12th house, which is to say there's when you see that uh, some astrologers think there's a lot of karma there. I also think it just means there might be a big legacy. Uh, I was looking at Tina Turner's chart earlier. She kind of had a something similar, which is like they leave a lot, too. She has Pluto and Uranus in this 12th house. So we've established Pluto as kind of this, it's so tied in with all of that. To me, Uranus, Uranus is the planet of queerness. It's the planet of revolution. It's so when we see Uranus in this 12th house, in this place here, um, I, I just think it's very much tied into this thing she started that she may not have fully understood um that is meant to kind of like survive her which is this um I, it's hard i'm trying to describe her legacy <laughs> when you say when you say uh that tina turner and she like leave things behind do you mean abandon things or like leave a legacy leave a legacy mm -hmm. i i think there's just this aspect of like your imprint on the world is it's a lot of stuff that is from before you were born and is kind of stays from after you die. You know, it's not as clean of a, a, a of a, of a scenario. Ain't that the goddamn case, huh? <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm just curious, like how you would describe her legacy. Oh, that's very difficult. I mean, this is going to sound really like <laughs> flaky and, and fruity, but consider the SARS. I'm a free yeah, flake. It's, it's way too late. <laughs> I mean, for me personally, I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of like a Venusian goddess. I mean, I think that's sort of what I take from her. Um, there's also just that I, I feel the need to justify everything that I say, like, because, you know, I, when you say purity, that's what I really related to about her is just that like, she just the episodes of the Anna Nicole show where it seemed like she was having a good time. I was just rooting for her so hard. Um, the episodes when you got to see her being sweet and silly and unencumbered <laughs> with the cares of the world. Yeah. Um, there's just something about her that, like, for me, her legacy is is that. And and I know that that's kind of an obtuse thing to say because her the end of her life was just, like, unimpeachably tragic and, and dark. And there were things at play that there was a lot of abuse of power and and probably abuse in other ways that we don't understand. And, and like, I'm not trying to ignore that or say that like that, the terrible dynamics she was probably involved with were worth anything or that there's a sense of justice. I don't see a lot of justice. I'll put, let's start there. There's not a lot of justice in the story of Anna Nicole one way or the other. I think, you know, all the way from like, all the way from like, she had no right to be as successful as she was being a gal from Mahaya 
to I think she was entitled to the money that she was gold digging from her marriage to it's just like brutally unfair that someone should be taken advantage of by anyone which is you know up in the air but I'd say it's probably she was it's probably safe to say that there was something a little dark about what was going on with the people in her life at the end of her life and then just like the deeply unfairness of losing your child and and going through that kind of pain it's it, like there's there's not a lot of justice that I see which is ironic since she's a double Libra it seems like thank you uh, um that's, but that's it and then I would also just say though that like and this is again um my mother would kill me for this because she's a second wave feminist and she would not appreciate me saying this but I'm just going to be totally honest I think a lot of her legacy is just like incredibly beautiful cheesecake photography that's captured in Playboy mm. I mean those those images are just for me a gay man <laughs> um and um, a man who has not had to deal with structural misogyny in my daily life. I'll start there. From my point of view, just those images are so beautiful and just so um, specific to what was on people's minds and what was in people's like unconscious desires in the early 90s. And I think that the images of her for, um, for guests and the images of her in Playboy um, just speak so much volumes about what people wanted out of a woman and what she was able to to present to the world in a way that's just like super profound. So those are sort of the two sides of her legacy as far as I'm concerned. You know, the fourth Libra rising who I have not mentioned is, wait for it, Adolf Hitler. <laughs> well, that was a, a twist I was not expecting, uh, David. <laughs> Adolf Hitler, who is classically like me, a Taurus son and, you know, any classically. <laughs> yeah, I know. He is a Capricorn moon as you know, any of the Capricorn moons in your life, I would be a little worried about that's really where they get you. Um, but let's just talk about um, let's talk about Hitler, Hitler, Britney Spears, Bill Clinton and Anna Nicole Smith are all walk into a bar. Exactly. <laughs> if we think of this thing with Libra risings of them mm -hmm. acting as a mirror of what the society wants, and mm -hmm. then ultimately, I think all four of these people, that mirror eventually cracked when, when a limit got reached. Hmm. But one way or another, what those four people did in one way or another is reveal what people wanted and then say, okay, what happens when I give it to you? And then let's see what the consequences are. I think in her case, because it is crazy that a gold dig digging case would go would involve the Koch brothers, yeah, the Bush administration, yeah, the U.S. Supreme Court. We're talking oh Ruth Bader Ginsburg <laughs> writing, uh, you know, a, 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 I think not a dissent, whatever the opposite of a dissent is. So, in the same way of these these crazy high stakes that happens with the Libra rising, I think there was this aspect of like, okay, I'm gonna do what is expected of a beautiful woman in our society yep i'm going to cash in which is very much mm -hmm. her taurus in the uh eighth house of inheritance uh her second house scorpio um and i'm gonna cash in and look i'm doing it i'm doing what you all want or or, or what you think like i'm supposed to do and now i there's consequences um and, and i'm going to reveal I'm going to reveal, even though I don't understand it, I am going to reveal to you the fragility and the limits and the ways that this entire system is totally fucked up. Yep. Um, 
which she did do. And, and I think, you know, again, Britney Spears is also a Sagittarius son. I think they were both able to fling themselves into it, go for it, attack. Like they like would launch themselves into the situation. I don't think they're fully aware socially of the the systematic apparatus in place that uh, is punishing them. But I think that they, it, it, which is very Sagittarian of being able to start the conversation, even if you can't finish the conversation. Um, like, I, I think that's very correct, you know? It's funny when you talk about like what happens when you give the people what they're asking for. This is again, you know, this is going to be a somewhat macabre episode, no matter what, David. Yeah. But I think of the rosebuds and the peanuts at her at her husband's, you know, on her husband's deathbed. <laughs> um, the rosebuds being the fact that that's what the nickname was for her nipples. So that was like a way she would cheer him up. Like when he was having a hard time, she'd be like, do you want to <laughs> see the rosebuds? And he'd be like, yeah. And then the other thing was that when he was intubated, I believe he was intubated, but regardless, he was having a hard time eating. And she got in trouble over and over again for feeding him peanuts um, because he would choke on the peanuts and she would just be like, but he likes peanuts. He wants them. And I just feel like if you're talking about like the consequences of getting what you want for better and for worse, it's like he wants to eat peanuts and see a naked lady and the peanuts will make him choke to death. And the naked lady is going to embroil his entire family in a lawsuit that lasts for the rest of eternity. And it's like, this is what happens. You want peanuts and rosebuds, man. Like, and yeah. I don't know who among us doesn't relate to that. <laughs> no, it's so good. And it's, I, I'm, you know, if we think of Saturn as like the governor, the emperor, the father, there is this aspect of her Saturn in Aries. Aries is the hatchling. Uh, you know, her Aries is this like innocent thing. That's just like, peanuts he likes peanuts he likes my tits and saturn as literally the Koch brothers and george w bush being like um you can't do this and here's why and her being like what do you mean well and i feel like there's there's just two ways you can look at it and i find both of them equally compelling of either and, and both of them represent such like a male fear of female power that either she was literally trying to kill him which i don't think is the case or it's just like she literally didn't have the 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 thinking ahead skills to be like these peanuts will hurt him because he can't eat peanuts anymore even if he wants them and either way it's this fear of like there's this fear of the woman of like either the femme fatale who is like going to actively kill you or passively kill you because she has all this power that she has no control over either and i just feel like that is such a real that was such an embodied example of this like large fear of femininity that like pervades our society i think about the rosebuds and peanuts a lot i'll tell um, you what <laughs> yeah i love that um i, uh, I got it it's interesting from my point of view just looking at her this is just my astrological thesis I believe her just because. Oh, me too. Me too. Yeah, I believe her. Me too. I mean, it's also just I and you know whatever we're talking about these people like we know them or have any authority exactly. based on you know or what we've care. seen. But like I think about there's a great episode of the Anna Nicole Show where it's one of these wonderful contrived reality TV moments where she's out to have you. Do you remember this episode? Did you watch the Anna Nicole Show, David? I I watched it a little bit when I was I think I was too young to understand it. I mm. loved the Mad TV sketches. In researching mm -hmm. this, uh, I have rewatched uh, a, a few. Uh, special episodes but but go off well the, one of the other things i love is that she was so bad at 
you could tell that producers would be like, Anna, this is what we're doing on this episode. And she was so bad at conveying that in any sort of naturalistic way. So there's a great contrived episode where she's out to eat and she's like, this way is taking, this way just takes too long. It's taking too long. It's, <laughs> it's taking too long. And then someone's like, so do you want to, what if you switched places with her? Would, would that be something you could do? And she's like, <laughs> yeah. So it's just this contrivance to get them to switch places. But like, so, you know, the, the the waitress gets to just like lie around Anna Nicole's mansion all day and then she has to take orders and she's bad at it. But there's a part where she's she's babysitting for this waitress's daughter and they set it up where you're like, oh, my God, what a disaster. And she is just so freaking darling with this little kid. And I was like, this woman knows how to nurture people. She knows how to take care of people when they need to be taken care of. Like there, there's something about her that like, I don't know. I just think about that episode a lot because I was like, oh no, this is going to be like some terrible negligence situation. And I was like, good God damn. She's a great babysitter. <laughs> I just can't that imagine to that me, she would. Yeah. The, the Venus moon conjunction in Libra right on the ascendant. I'm just like, I think she just wanted to probably be a mother. Oh, yeah. And, um, and you know, I mean, you know, good mother, bad mother. These are all like things that are problematic that terms is to begin true because with. Because watching, you know, the treatment of her son on that reality show, I was like, oh, my it's, God. it's dark. It's really, really dark. And <laughs> it has a terrible ending. Um, I think, I don't know, I guess when, when you get right down to it, none of us were there. But I just I do in my heart of hearts believe that she cared about the children she had although there yeah. is the the lifetime movie that implies that she drank during her pregnancy which is you know obviously a worrisome practice as well um <laughs> it's shit's complicated how's that it was the 80s <laughs> yeah, we, we, we didn't know um okay shane I, i'm i'm really so uh, i feel like we really cracked uh some beautiful ground here um Thank you for doing this with me. Oh, David, this is such a pleasure. I could talk about Anna Nicole Smith all day. And I just, I love your podcast. I love what you do. Thank you, babe. I, I love the regularity of it. I love your wisdom. I love your take on it. I don't really follow or know much about astrology, but I just am always impressed at how effectively you can parlay it into reasonable ideas about the world and pop culture at large. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I will say that to anyone listening, Shane is uh, a tarot sister of mine. Um, and if you would ever like a reading from Shane, you should hit them up or you yeah, should hit me up. both up for uh, a, uh, Oh, could we double team a tarot uh, session? Yeah, I was about to say a double penetration. <laughs> oh, dear. I mean, like, I love also that I'm just like, I mean, tarot, who knows? I mean, astrology, who knows? Tarot, that's a fact. Tarot's a fact. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's it's all the same it's all narrative baby it's all narrative. It's all archetypes and mm -hmm. we are faggots and fags love archetypes amen um, so where can people follow you uh because you have I mean in the last year alone you've had short films come out You've kind of been a lot of places, seen a lot of faces, as little Kim would say. Uh, Where can people be following you? Okay, so first of all, you need to bring me back on for the little Kim episode. Um, oh my gosh. I mean, talk about another icon from the same era. Um, <laughs> people can find me on the internet at Twitter and uh, Instagram, Shane Island. S-H-A-N-E-I-S-L-A-N-D. Very good. Um, Okay, Lil Kim's astrology. I, I will just say one last aside with you, Shane. Did you see Lil Nas X's the video? I, I I'm absolutely gagged. I love it so 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 much. It's very Lil Kim. 
Oh yeah. Well, it's very, um, you know what it really is, is it's very vigilant citizen. It's like, do you know that website? No. <laughs> oh girl. Vigilant no. citizen is a wingnut, um, like Illuminati conspiracy theory website, but they only talk about pop culture. It's only fashion shoots and music videos. And oh, wow. this is a person who's just, you know, like, like, like Lady Gaga has been in the Illuminati. Beyonce is controlling your mind, you know, like, like that stuff. And I was just like, it's like this, this woman, conceived of the and directed this video just to upset the the illuminati conspiracy theorists um i just think it's a wonderful video i love it so much yeah i just really it really made me think of the um um (laughs) what is the song with cisco that i listen to every day oh the Uh, lil kim song yes i need you now I need you. Oh, you're talking about uh, how many licks? How many licks? It reminded right. me of the how many licks. Oh yeah, video, but oh, such good. a good video. <laughs> such a I love that video. It's oh, my so God. it's so good, but it's a mess. This I was oh, like, yeah. oh, this is what it would be like, like with if she had the proper CGI technology. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I love that video, man. I love Lil Kim so much. Um, the uh, the little you know what? I just one moment in the Lil Nas X video. I you know I don't think I have much internalized homophobia left. However. But, watching just the person lick the Lil Nas X lick himself in the unitard I was like you cannot show that in a music <laughs> video those are two boys young I, man I found it very provocative I was like yeah, yeah you you see I mean you see all sorts of heterosexual provocations but I'm I'm just loving what he's doing I just love it so much and I love Talk the nod to Brittany and, Brittany and Justin in the um his captors in the denim I love it oh thank you for that mm. God bless the children. God bless you, David. God bless you, babe. Thank you for doing this. My total pleasure. The Luminaries is made with love in New York City. Consulting producer, Carly Hugendike. Music by Henry Kapersky and designed by Greg Kozatek. To book a reading, follow my illustrious life, or let me know who you think we should profile on the next episode, you can follow me on Instagram, david underscore odyssey, or email adavidodyssey at gmail.com. Please share, rate, subscribe. You know the drill. Love you. See you next Tuesday. Mwah.